Amen. Check this out. It was your just an average typical day in this uh, steel town of America. Had a population of about 30,000 people, and this town actually was a pillar of success. In fact, everybody wanted to live in this town and the surrounding area, but not after this. Listen. You see, the town had been built on a floodplain between two rivers. And then to make matters worse, just outside of town was a lake on the side of a mountain, and the only thing holding that back was a poorly maintained dam. And even though every single year the people were warned again and again, the dam might not hold, they just laughed it off like it was some sort of a joke. But all joking aside, precisely at 4.07 p.m., the unthinkable happened. The dam busted. It broke. Instantly, 20 million tons of water came crashing down upon them, forming a wall 60 feet high, speeding along at 40 miles an hour, boiling with huge chunks of debris, leveling everything in its path. Thousands of people tried desperately to escape, but they were snatched away and crushed like twigs in the giant wave. And still others became helplessly entangled of miles of barbed wire that was mixed in the water there and it twisted their flesh and shredded their bodies, sending them down to a watery grave. And then those who even managed to survive that wave, uh, they clung to a piece of wood, but they didn't fare much better because they were simply, listen, washed downstream and they became entrapped in a pile of debris that had caught fire, so they were just burned alive. Man. When all was said and done, 2,200 people died in just 10 minutes. The year was 1889. The town was Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Johnstown, Pennsylvania flood? Are you serious? I was getting ready to say nobody. <laughs> wow, we've got some history about skipping yourself a, a golf clap. Yeah, no, that was a serious issue, okay? That's just in 10 minutes' time, right? And with all due respect, you guys know the theme. I, got, we, I think we could agree that was a horrible disaster, right? Okay, but again, with all due respect to those who lost their lives in that horrible flood, what if I were to tell you I know a disaster that makes the Johnstown flood looks like a kid's pool party? Okay, and what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur at just one place, at one country at one time? It's going on right now today, okay, and it's been going on for centuries and leaving a trail of death and destruction. Folks, once again, we're talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And again, the facts are this. We Christians don't battle here and there once in a while. Are you kidding me? Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, you entered into a spiritual war against a demonic host whose sole purpose is to destroy you and your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. We go to war every single day. Okay? Spiritual warfare is real. Okay? And so in light of that, so you and I don't get duped and unnecessarily beat up all over the place when we already got the victory in Christ. We're going to continue in our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, speaking of war, we've already been seen using the battle terms from the Bible. Okay, if you're going to win a war, what's the first thing you got to know? You got to know who in the world your enemy is, okay? The second thing we saw, what your enemy was like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. And the last two times we saw the fifth thing was the temptation of the enemy. We need to deal with this reality, folks. We don't need to walk around and be scared, okay? But we got to wake up and deal with reality. Every single day, there is an entity, entities out there, who are tempting us every single day to sin against God. Right? And we saw that that's what the enemy does. He fires out this thing. He tries to get us to become what I call a twisted Christian. And he tries to get us to deny his existence or the demons. He tries to get us to play in his dominion, this wicked world system. Okay? Then we saw last time, he tries to get us to deny even the sin nature, the old you, the enemy from within. That even gives him a foothold in the first place that wants to rebel against God. Right? That's why it even works in the first place, because there's a part of us that wants to do that. Okay, the old us, us. Okay, then we saw we, he even gets us to deny his murderous motives. Satan and the demons are not just out there to mess things up. Ah, oh, ha, ha, messed up your walk with Jesus. No, we saw he's not just a liar. He is what? The father of lies, and he's a murderer, and he's been one from the beginning. He gets us to sin because some sins he knows, if we go down that route and we don't turn around, some sins will actually kill you. The sin of drunkenness could lead to your own death or the death of other people or both. The sin of sexual immorality can lead to diseases that can kill you, and on and on it goes. This is whom we have to deal with. If he could, he wouldn't just mess up our walk with Christ. He'd take us out on earth, okay? That's how serious this is. We don't need to be afraid, but we've got to deal with it, okay? But that's just that uh, first one. The, the second temptation, he fires at you and I, not just the twisted Christian. He, he turns us into the tormented Christian every day. Ah, I can't. Why is this such a... Ah? And he gets us to do it ourselves, believe it or not. Okay. Now, the reason why I use tormented, listen to this. Okay. The first definition of the word tormented means, listen, to cause great physical or mental pain, literally to flat out torture. Okay. I'll say it again. To cause great physical or mental pain to literally flat out torture. 
And this is the first thing that the devil does. The moment you got saved, bang, this is exactly what he's working at. Not just messing things up. He wants to torture you with temptation. On and on and on and on it goes. Okay? And, and, and he throws out the bait. He says this. Here's how he first gets this to crack a little bit. And you may have heard this, so to speak. Something like this. He'll say, hey, come on, Christian. What are you, some sort of a wacko? I mean, just lighten up a little bit. I mean, come on, this is the real world. I mean, I mean, I mean you, you can't go around worshiping God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, well, you know how boring that is? And not just that, he throws in the peer pressure. I mean, come on, what, what's your friends going to think, right? Your co-workers, they knew who you were before, right? Your family, they're going to think you're really gone on the deep edge right now. Just, just lighten up, just have some fun, will you? Lower the standard. Ever hear that voice? And again, you might be thinking, hey, listen, you know, a tormented thought like that, that's no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Wrong. The enemy knows, folks, if he can get us to buy into that tormented thought, it will lead to a turbulent life. And the first sign that you're headed for that turbulent life, you are lowering the standard, you're hoping the gateway to be tormented, okay, is when you start ignoring the temptation of the mind. Where does temptation start in the first place? Well, believe it or not, it starts in the mind. And that's where the enemy always tries to get a foothold. That's the birthplace of sin. Okay, let's take a look at that. I didn't say it. God did. James chapter 1 is our opening text. Let's go ahead and turn there. James chapter 1. Where does temptation start? How does the process? I mean, I mean, we started off hopefully the day. We're spending time with Jesus. Our mind is on God, right? We're, we're singing songs to Jesus. Our, our heart and our mind is on God, right? We're thinking about God. You know, as Paul says, whatever is lovely and excellent and praiseworthy and true, uh, think upon these things and the peace of God will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So we, we're starting the day off in the word of God and having a great time with God, but somewhere along the day, it's like, what in the world happened? Well, you need to back up the train I call and somewhere along the line, you were not paying attention to your mind. Okay, that's where the process begins. And this is what James says here as we go ahead and stand and read God's word. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this. Now, first of all, when tempted, no one should say what? God has tempted me. Are you kidding me? Chrome translation, right? Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God, listen, is what? He is, we just sang it. He is holy, he is holy, he is. Don't you sit there and say, oh God, why did you? No, he's not responsible for it. Who is? Listen. But each one is tempted when by his what? His own evil desire. Now stop right there. It's a, a epithumia in the Greek. It means violent passion. Okay? In a negative sense. Violently passionate about some evil, some sin. Okay? Some of your translations might say the word lust. Okay? That's used there. But it's a desire. Now desire is aware. Where's that desire start? Starts in your brain, right? So he says it's, it's your own brain, your own evil desire, and then what happens? You don't shut it off. You don't turn from that thought. You don't, turn from the, you don't get it back on Christ. What's going to happen? He is what? You're going to be dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, you didn't turn away from it, it gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when that thing's full grown, what does that do for you? It gives birth to death. Okay, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. You may be seated there. Okay, in other words, pay attention to what's going on here, okay? The Bible, first of all, says, hello, temptation does not come from God. Don't you ever dare say that. God is holy, okay? He says, you want to be the one who's responsible for it? Oh, you're tempted, okay? And by the way, temptation in itself is not sin. It's when you get into it, okay? It becomes sin, right? But he says here, it comes from our own evil desires, okay? This is why temptation even works on us in the first place, because there's a part of us that wants to keep thinking about that evil desire, that violent passion, that lust, right, for sin and whatever it is. And that part of us just wants to say, no, I'm not letting that go. No, I'm not turning back to God. I'm thinking about this thing. And James says, that's the process. When you start thinking about that thing, it's going to conceive. It's going to conceive what? It's going to give birth to sin. This is the process of temptation, right, that James lays out for us, okay? If you don't pay attention to your mind, then he's going to have a heyday with you. Then he's going to have a heyday with you, right? And how many times, I just can't, I, I, and I always, oftentimes the counsel, I say, well, well, Pastor Bill, I was having a great day, and all of a sudden this, and, and then I couldn't stop, and then I always say, well, stop, 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 stop. Let's back up the train. Okay, somewhere you started your day, it wasn't like that. Can we agree? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, and how'd you start your day? Hopefully, it's with Jesus, right? I said, where was your mind? It was on God. It was on the things of God. I said, it was wonderful. What? Right. Of course, yeah. Because that's what God says. He'll give you his peace. It'll guard your heart and mind. Yeah. Just keep focus of your mind on God, the things of God, all about God. Woo-hoo, what a payoff, right? Okay. But then somewhere along the line, guess what happened? He got into your brain. 
And we're going to start to see how he gets into our brain. Right? But see, if you don't pay attention to your thought life, as the scripture says, bring every thought captain and obedient to Christ. And if you don't do that, literally pay attention to what's going on in your brain, man, he's going to have a heyday with you. And all you're going to do is, I'm calling the leftovers. You're always over here dealing with the leftovers and sinning, uh, confessing, sinning, uh, and confessing, sinning, uh, confessing. Instead of, listen, you, it's not just there. Yes, if you sin, you need to confess. But over here, over here, if you don't want to keep being in that position, back up the train and go, well, where did I get off track? What, where in the day did I get, what was it that influenced my brain to get me to lust, to epithumia? To, to stop thinking about God and start thinking about sin. And, and then I didn't shut it off because I wasn't paying attention to it. And all of a sudden, blah, are you sick and tired of this reality? Then the scripture says, James is reminding us, you need to back it up. Pay attention to your thought life. And see, this is what the enemy does. He gets us to pay zero attention to our thought life. And James says, when you do that, man, you, you, are, you might just shoot yourself in the foot. Because this is what is going to happen, okay? He says that when we simply start to think about sin, instead of knee-jerk reaction, whoa, stop that, go back to Christ, he says we'll start to give in to that temptation in the mind. He used the words to conceive. In other words, you start to become sinfully pregnant, right? And I think we can all verify this. When somebody becomes pregnant, sooner or later, something's coming out, Right? Right? Hopefully, it just, it just works that way. And he's using the same language. Praise God. Right? Any guy, you ladies glad that the, your child doesn't stay in there for 14 years? Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, but you know, when you get pregnant, oh boy, something's coming out. Now, hopefully it's a boy or girl. Okay, if it's not, you need to call the authorities. But seriously, the scripture says that if you get pregnant, man, it's just a matter of time, right? Labor, they're different, but something's coming out. And that's what James says. He's Listen, if, 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 you, if you don't turn away, if you don't pay attention to the thoughts going through your head, and you allow that to rattle on in there, I don't know how long, but all of a sudden, bang, it conceives. And it conceives, I don't know how long it's going to take, but something's going to happen because now you're sinfully pregnant. And he says, it's going to happen sooner or later, boom, here comes sin. Right? You conceive. You get, and so again, here's my point, and I'm being belabored about this. Where does it start? It doesn't start over here. You'll never get victory if that's all you're over here doing. You need to, moment by moment, every single minute of the day, pay attention to what? What's going on in your mind. And this is what the enemy is working masterfully on, is to get us to never pay attention to the brain. Because he knows this is where the sin begins, at its inception. Okay, And so basically what he does is he not only gets us to pay no attention to our thought life, so that we won't shut it off at its source. And by the way, the response time is critical. Did you know that? Right? Because the longer you let that thought, la, 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 you're having a great day with Jesus, la, 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 and all of a sudden here comes this bad thought, and, so, and we'll get to the sources in a bit. And it's a bad thought, and all of a sudden, uh, instead of turning around, you just kind of flirted with it a little bit there, and flirted with it for a little bit, and just you didn't turn away. The longer you went, the more the, it's going to boom, it's going to conceive, and then you're done. So the, the critical issue is the, you're so paying attention to your thought life that the moment anything interrupts what you're thinking about is all about God, all about Jesus, whatever's right, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, true. The moment that you counter anything, you go back to that. If you don't, it's going to happen. It, one guy used an analogy. How many guys ever played that game with a, a rubber band? It's a guy thing. Maybe it's because I grew up in the Midwest and there's nothing else to do. Okay, <laughs> but you take a rubber band, right? And you did the old snapping game to see how far you can pull it back. And let it go. Wow, praise God. Pray for my upbringing and my heritage and my children and my family history. <laughs> you can imagine you take a rubber band and you put it on your like, index finger. And you, you pull it back and it smacks, smacks the palm of the hand, right? And that's the game. How far could you pull it back? And then boom, and it gets you. And, it gets, and, then, and then you get to the point where you go, oh, oh, you start getting wilts. And, and then you pull it real back. And you, you haven't even let go yet, but you're wincing because you know what's coming. So, now, here's my point. It's the same thing with sin. The longer you allow that thought to linger in your head, you're pulling that rubber band back further. And James says, man, you do it. You're going to let it go. Guess what's going to happen? Bang! You're going to get stung. Sin's going to get conceived. It's going to get set right here. So the, the point is, if you got this little rubber band thing on your finger, wouldn't it be easier just to go like this? Oh, drop it. Oh, drop it. Are you, are you tired of getting stung? Just drop it. See, the response time is critical. Don't let it go. You're so well paying attention to your brain, the moment anything interrupts your train of thought that's outside of Christ, no, I'm going back to Jesus. I'm going back to him. Bring every thought captain and obedient to Christ. Now, we're not going to be sinless this side of heaven, but I'll guarantee you, you will sin less if you can get this one down, okay? 
And that's what the enemy does. He gets us to not pay attention to what's going on in our mind. If you don't pay attention, you're going to lead a tormented life as a Christian. Okay, now does that make sense? That's where it all begins. Now, let's take a look at he not only tries to get us to not pay attention to our mind, he tries to get us to influence our mind on purpose. We're the ones doing it. I mean, because there's certain things you can't control, right? You can't control what goes on out in the world, living in this world. Scripture says we're in this world, just not of the world. Right? It's just going to happen. All, there's all kinds of inputs in this world we can't control. But man, we shouldn't be doing that on our own. That's just putting fuel on the fire. It's bad enough you've got to deal with living in this wicked world. Why would we purposely invite temptation? And that's what the enemy does. And the first one we're going to take a look at just today, we'll get another one, Lord willing, next week. The first way he does, how does he get into our brains? He first does it through our ears. You realize that? Because what you allow into your ears influences your mind. Okay, now watch this passage from Job. This is pretty cool. Uh, He says, Job chapter 12, verse 11, is it not the task of the ear to what? To discriminate between wise and unwise words. We do that every time. You allow words in, and what does your brain do? Your brain processes those words. That was wise, that was unwise. Pastor Billy, you want to go to Cain's? That was a very unwise statement you made. It doesn't take long in my brain to discriminate between that. So we do that every day, every second. Something goes in your ear, right? And then your brain says, aha, I processed that. That's good or bad, basically, right? And he gives you an analogy. He says the same thing as with your mouth, right? Your mouth, you put something in your mouth, what's it do? It distinguishes between desirable and undesirable food. Back to KFC, name your chicken joint, same thing, common sense. Let's just close in prayer. No, let's move on with the analogy. <laughs> right? But, but this job tells us, just like our mouth, it receives input, food, and you taste it and you go, oh, that was good, or that was bad. Okay? He says the same thing, our ears do the stuff. Our ears take input, if you would, mind food, okay? and then our mind goes, hmm, good or bad. Okay, and this is one of the ways the enemy will get into our mind, right? Now, our minds, when it goes in, you get something in your ear, your brain will distinguish. It's what James says. Your brain will go, oh, that's a bad thought, right? The new you. But the old you says, oh, no, let's keep it, right? And you want to relish it. And then here comes that response time thing. If you don't bang, it's going to conceive, give birth to sin, okay? But this is how he'll get into your brain, and it's through the ears. Now, I'm going to break that down two more times. Okay, how does he get into our ears? Okay, to get into our minds to affect our behavior, good or bad. Well, the first way he does it is with your lips, what you say, your words, right? And this is why we saw this a couple weeks ago in the Thanksgiving message, this passage of scripture about what kind of words, what what should be coming out of your lips as a Christian. Paul lays it on the line. He says, Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through 30, do not let how much? Any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, okay? Uh, Why? Because here's the only thing that should be coming out of your mouth. Only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I'll add this, though. And do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whoa, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, hopefully there's no show of hands. I'm going to help you out on this one. Okay, but how many guys would say that uh, it's not a good thing if you got up today and this was your desire? You popped out of bed, woohoo! I can't wait. Oh, hopefully the sooner the better that I can do something to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Please don't raise your hand, right? No, nobody thinks that, right? But notice in the context of what James or, or uh, Paul says here in Ephesians, he says, well, what is one way that you can actually grieve the Spirit of God? It's with this unwholesome talk. It's with the words Christian coming out of your mouth. In fact, the Greek for unwholesome there, it literally means this, right? Foul, rotten, putrid. You know. Yeah. Okay. Blah. You wouldn't want, right? Why? Because listen, he says, are you kidding me? You're a Christian. First of all, you're supposed to be Christ-like, Right? Did Jesus have unwholesome stuff coming out of his mouth? Then what are you doing? You're supposed to be a follower of Christ, right? That's a given thing. But also, it's sin. It grieves the heart of God. As we saw with the process of temptation, listen, it's going out of your mouth into somebody's ear. And it's going into their ear, and it's like, oh, it's what? It's enticing them to sin. Your bad, unwholesome talk is going out of your mouth into their ear. It goes into their brain. If they don't stop, guess what? It's going to conceive. They're going to start doing it, and it begins to spread. 
is what the rest of the passage is. It just it spreads like a, like a disease in the body of Christ. That's the process of sin. What we allow into our ears influences our thinking and hence our behavior, good or bad. And Paul says that's why Christian, come on. We're supposed to be a part of the solution, not the problem. The world already does that, not us. None of us should ever be using our mouth to spew forth sinful, unwholesome, foul, rotten, putrid language. Why? Because that would influence other people to think about that, ponder that. Uh, if you, and why? We are not to be a source of sin. If we're going to be something Christian, we're to be a source of edification. For building each other up in Christ. And one of the ways is with our mouth. Now, filthy language, foul language, dirty jokes, all that stuff, that's certainly in the context here. No Christian should ever do that. Okay. Another uh, lip sin, I'll call it, and we talked about this before, is called gossip. Gossip. And later in James, he, he's blown away by this. I mean, wait till you listen to the verbiage he uses in the expanded Greek here. It's like, are you, what? You know, it's almost like he's wanting to go, make fly. Right? You know, just are you, what? Are you what? Christians? Are you no. And this is the text that he says here about the words coming out of your mouth. Right? James chapter 3, 9 through 10. He says, listen, now, Christian, we just saw Ephesians 4, right? We use the tongue to what? To bless. To bless our Lord and Father. Yeah, praise God. This is awesome, right? Well, and what? And we use the same tongue to what? Curse our fellow men who are creating God's likeness? Listen to his response. What? Blessings and curses coming out of the same mouth? Are you kidding me? Surely, my brothers, this is the sort of thing that ought never to happen. Are you kidding me? And then he goes on to say, it's like, can, can salt and water, fresh water they, from the same source? And this is, that, that doesn't make sense, he's saying. That's so foreign. It's, it's crazy. How could that How could that happen? The scripture says, folks, if you want to be, if you will, in essence is what he's calling out here, hypocrites. You want to be, okay, here's another one. Okay, you passed, you passed the first test. You got, out, you got up this morning, and, you, and no, nobody, we verified this already, got up and said, yeah, I can't wait to greet the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, yes. Okay, right, we're on, right? Now, how many guys got up, and then you said, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, sooner than later, I can be a real big, giant hypocrite with my mouth. I'm going to say good things and turn around and curse people. Yeah. Whoa, what a goal. You guys are nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. I tell you what. <laughs> right? No, of course not. But that's what he's calling out. He's going like, are you kidding me, Christians? No. On the one hand, praise God, I'm a Christian. On the other hand, as if God's deaf. It's not just that, though. These are words coming out of your mouth. And what's the process of temptation? What comes out of the mouth goes into somebody's ear. It goes into the ear, it goes into their brain. The brain, if they don't shut off real quick, what's it going to do? It's going to conceive, bang, and give birth to sin. So now your mouth that was supposed to be only for edification, only for blessing, only for good things, building up the body of Christ and other people and sharing the gospel with your lips, not gossip, has now become a source of temptation. And you're a Christian, you know better. That's why he's, that should never ought to happen. Are you kidding me? Now, unfortunately, uh, I, I, every church I've ever pastored, I, 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 I call it this. Gossip seems to be the one sin that nobody ever wants to deal with. And yet it's huge. And so much so that even the world knows better. Let me share this with you. One Sunday morning, a restaurant manager designated two rooms as a non-smoking section to accommodate churchgoers, Christians, and who were coming in through the restaurant for a bite to eat after the morning service. And the busboy there said he was glad to see a large number of non-smoking Christians, but then he added, well, they may not smoke, but you ought to hear them gossip. Listen, he said, if we had a non-gossip section, nobody would be there. Before I got saved, I remember my roommate, his girlfriend at the time was a waitress at one of the restaurants in Sacramento, and uh, her name was Lexi. And Lexi, she, uh, you know, everybody was always scraping for money, but she was always working for tips, right? And she had a love-hate relationship. This is before I was saved, folks. She had a love-hate relationship with Sundays. You know why? Because that was the biggest crowd, typically, because everybody after church services, what do you do? Go out to eat. But she hated it. She says, because the most rudest people, mean, cantankerous, always complain about their food. She says, I hate it. 
Now that's her impression of Christians. What's going on? What's James say? What? Such things ought never to happen. Christian, everybody's listening, not just your brother in Christ and sister in Christ, but the world is watching us. And what comes out of your mouth, okay, reveals a good or a bad witness. It's called being a hypocrite, okay? And I love this, you know, if you're here today and you're going, man, I'm not sure if something's gossip, right? Well, I don't really think it's that mysterious, right? Have you ever seen the game that's being played? Right? Hey, not only is God blind, but Pastor Billy's blind, right? I come around the corner, da, 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 and you guys are just gossiping. And, but, oh, no, no. No, no. So I come around the corner, and then you guys are actively engaged in some sort of conversation. Hey, I come around the corner. And oh, they must not have wanted me to hear about the weather report. Hmm. Are you kidding me? Come on. We play this game. Or other Christians, not just me. I just that. When the voice goes down, you're probably gossiping. When you're having to turn your head, you're probably gossiping. That's what's going on. Or we try to get spiritual. I'm only telling you this so you can pray for them. You're gossiping. Nine times out of ten. But it's not that hard to understand. Now, if you don't know, though, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If you don't know, okay, I love this. This is Proverbs. God, he just cuts the chase, man. I, is this God's supernatural? Okay, <laughs> just follow this. Memorize this. It's a short verse. Okay, it's really good. Proverbs 21, 23 from God. If you keep your mouth shut, you'll stay out of trouble. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? What, what do our moms used to say? Hey, you ain't got nothing good to say. Don't say it. That's what God's saying. Hey, keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. And not only you stay out of trouble, but your mouth won't cause other people trouble. Why? Because you know the process is temptation. It's not just about us. It's about influencing other people, good or bad. What comes out of your mouth, your words, okay, it goes into other people's brains, man. Okay? And then the, if they don't shut that off, if it's a negative thing, it can entice them to sin. The next thing you know, everybody's doing it. No Christian should have a part of spewing forth gossip, talking about other people, filthy language, jokes, all that stuff. Why? It's not about legalism. It's about common sense. We're to edify, not entice others to sin. Common sense? Now, that's just the first one. The second one that we're going to deal with today, and the last one, is not just with the lips, with the words coming out of your mouth. Uh, it's with lyrics, music. You see, because music is just words put to music. What's the difference if it's just sinful words put to music? It's not about the genre. It's about the content, right? But here's what the Bible says music should be all about. Let's take a look at that. Psalm 150, uh, verses 3 through 6. Psalm, Psalm, what are psalms? There's 150 psalms in the, in the Bible. What, what, what are they? They're songs, right? In the middle of the Bible, it's, all, it's a big, giant songbook. God's all about music, but here's what his purpose is. Praise who? Praise him, praise God with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute and praise him with the clash of cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. Man, they're getting into it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I love this. In case you ain't got it yet, praise the Lord, <laughs> right? With music, that's the purpose, okay? In fact, uh, God not only says the purpose of music is to praise him with it. Uh, Sebastian Bach, listen to this. He said, the sole purpose of all music is to bring praise to God. Boy, is that not happening today anymore? I mean, we are so far removed now uh, from music. It's absolutely crazy, okay? And this is what the enemy's doing. He's getting us to not just use our mouths, okay, with filthy, unwholesome talk or gossip, etc., to become an enticement to sin to other people. He's using music to do the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I pick your genre, folks. It's not about style. It's about substance, right? You look at what the words are being put to music in music today, and what is it encouraging people to do? Sin against God. Every kind of wicked and moral thought behavior you can think of. Okay, why? Because the enemy's not dumb. He knows. He's the author of temptation. One of the biggest ways to get us to tempted to sin is to not just listen to sin from other people's mouths, is to listen to sin put to music. Okay, in fact, secular researchers know this. Listen to this. The American Medical Association has concluded that music is a greater influence in the lives of teenagers than television. Right? The average teenager listens to 10,500 hours of music during the 7th and 12th grades. And so music surpasses TV as an influence in the lives of teenagers specifically. 
In fact, one person stated that songs are more than just mirrors of society. They are actually a potent force in shaping society. Studies have found that consumers of music with harmful things, bad stuff in, put to music, right, increases discomfort in family situations, produces a preference for friends over family, and a poor academic performance. And oddly enough, surveys show that teenagers more than adults believe that it does influence bad behavior. They'll admit it before us. And one doctor testified before the U.S. Senate hearings on the interrelationship of music and human behavior. And he says, quote, music affects our moods, our attitudes, our emotions, and our behavior. That's before the Senate. And might I add, it affects our behavior for good or for bad. But again, here's what we have been trained by the evil one to say when we get to this point. Oh, come on, Pastor Billy. What are you, some sort of legalistic, wacko Puritan guy? We all know that I just listen to the music because of the beat. And this music has no effect on me. Oh, if that's true, then you guys just saw how snappy that choir was. And it made you want to snap. Or at least me and Ken. But anyway, whatever. It influ- right? But we say, oh, it doesn't influence me. I mean, the music I listen to, no, it's just. Granted, this is from the 90s. But uh, let's explode that theory uh, and show how false it really is. Music affects everything we do. Watch this. In tonight's News on the News special report, we'll be examining the controversial question, can the music we listen to affect our lifestyles and beliefs? Would you be willing to tell us who your favorite bands are? Nirvana, Jesus and Mary Chain, Thrill Cold, Cold, Sonic Youth, Jesus Lizard. Robert Smith is God. Smashing Pumpkins. Do you think these songs have in any way affected your values or the way you live your life? Just music, man. We just listen to the music, that's all. Would you mind telling our viewers what bands you like to listen to? Hot Dre, Do you think this music or these bands have in any way influenced your lifestyles or beliefs? No, no, man. All I like is a music, man. That's all. That's all. Hey, who are you guys listening to? Do you think this music has impacted you in any way, shape, or form? that listening to these bands has in any way influenced your lifestyles or beliefs? No, man. We just like the music, that's all. Well, I like to listen to Kara's one, Domino Coolie. It's Warren G. R. Kelly. Snoop, you know. Do you think the songs that you listen to have affected your attitude or character? No. We just we just like the music, that's all. Hey, who can't is? Well, there you have it, folks. Straight from the fans themselves. Apparently, the music they listen to has absolutely no impact on their lifestyles, beliefs, or anything else for that matter. Yep, and if you believe that, John and I got some swamp land next to his house. We're wanting to sell you later after service, and we've got some contracts ready to go. Are you kidding me? And we laugh about it because it's what? It's so true, but yet, usually when you get to this point of the discussion, one have been trained to say, oh, no, I just like the music. It has no effect on my, what? Thought life. How many times have we got to go through this, right? You're having a great day with the Lord, and it could be something as simple as a tune came on the radio, or you were flipping through channels and a tune came on. It was something back from high school. It was something back in the pre-Jesus days, and instantly, in a matter of seconds, what's that do? Your brain is not thinking about God has nothing to do with legalism, has everything to do about common sense, and it brings back that flood of typically junk. And if you don't shut it off, you don't turn the channel, what's going to happen? James says what? La, 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 la. You keep letting that thing rattle. Boom! You're going to conceive. It's going to give birth to sin. Man, I was having a great day with God, and things were great. I was even heading home, and one of the best days in a long time. And One influence in the ear, if you don't shut it off, can affect your behavior. And the enemy knows this, folks. He knows this so well. In fact, you might be, I'm, I'm, I got to deal with one more thing. Because people will say, oh yeah, rap music, bad, bad stuff. Right? They'll say, oh yeah, you listen to that secular pop music, pop rock, that's just so very, yeah, that's not good either. Oh, oh no, heavy metal, we all know heavy metal, that's bad. You know that, Pastor Billy, the ex-headbanger guy. Yeah. Oh, but, but I only listen to country music. We all know the country music is God's music. Right? That stuff is clean as a whistle. 
<laughs> Are you kidding me? What is the spirit of Conway Twitty all of you? <laughs> Have you listened to country music? Have you, we've dealt with this before. Have you heard some of the titles? I just, these are actual titles. I'm not making this up. We've seen this before. Are you kidding me? Is this stuff you want to put in your head, right? You're having a great day with Jesus, and here comes these music things, right? I'm not making it up. How can I miss you if you won't go away, right? It's the time. Hey, you're the reason our kids are so ugly. That's an actual song. I'm not making it up, right? Hey, I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. Hey, my wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. Hey, I don't know whether to go kill myself or go bowling. It's a song. Hey, I want to whip your cow. No, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You want to beat up on chickens? You go for it. I'll hand you the bat. Don't be messing with the kid. <laughs> I want to whip your cow. That's a song. Hey, I would have wrote uh, you a letter, but I couldn't spell yuck. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. That's right. Hey, I'm just a bug on the windshield of life. And, hey, Billy broke my heart at Walgreens. I cried all the way to Sears. We'll go to Walmart next time. I don't know what's going on with you. Hey, she thinks my tractor's sexy. She needs help. Uh, hey, if the phone don't ring, it's, it's me not calling you up. How do you even process that right hey if i'd shot you when i wanted to i'd be out by now that ain't good hey if you can't live without me why aren't you dead yet hey you're the hangnail in my life and i can't bite you off and hey mama get the hammer there's a fly on papa's head that's why he's been dead for 14 years now you hit him in the head with the hammer and you made a song about <laughs> you're kidding me no no seriously it's not about the genre that's the mistake we made it's about the substance I'm open to all kinds of music, and that's what I preach about with Ken. He brings all kinds of different flavors, all different kinds of... But what's the common thread? It's all about Jesus. I don't care if it's bluegrass or, or pop or whatever it is, even a country flavor. But is it about Jesus? It's not about legalism. It's common sense. What are you putting in your brain? Why is that important? Because what you allow in your ears affects your brain, for good or bad. You distinguish it, and if, you, if it's bad and you don't turn away from it, what's James say? You're going to give birth to sin. You didn't pay attention to your mind. You didn't pay attention to what is the first way to influence your mind through the ears. The issue isn't the genre. The issue is the substance. Junk in equals junk out, whatever style you want to put to it. And let's be honest, folks. The enemy knows what he's doing with music. And he's using it to produce all kinds of horrible sin. Watch this. So when you hear people say, Oh, come on, I don't believe that. What they're really saying is, I don't want to believe that, because if I do, I'd have to change. And I love my sinful lifestyle. Brain specialist Dr. Richard Pellegrino declared that music has the uncanny power to, quote, trigger a flood of human emotions and images that have the ability to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. He went on to declare, quote, Take it from a brain guy. In 25 years of working with the brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way that one simple song can. Satanist Rex Church admits that Satanists are using music as a weapon of propaganda to influence youth around the world against Christ in order to establish the Antichrist kingdom on earth. The founder of the Church of Satan declared, Today's satanic bands are the vehicle of choice for millions of young people. If they encourage a study of real Satanism, I'm all for them. LeBay, who claims that, quote, Satan has always always had the best tunes, also has admitted the following, quote, music can inspire people to murder or violence, can inspire them to shoot a mall full of people. Satanist Marilyn Manson has admitted, quote, I don't know if anyone has really understood what we're trying to do to lure people in. Once we've got them, we can give them our message. Guitarist Craig Chikiso says, quote, rock concerts are the churches of today. Music puts them on a spiritual plane. Jimi Hendrix admitted to Life Magazine, Quote, I can explain everything better through music. You hypnotize people, and when you get people at their weakest point, you can preach into their subconscious is what we want to say. Billy Joel, looking back on the 50s and 60s, admitted that music was used for subversive sexual revolution. It started to make people feel profane. You know, all those things they were saying about rock and roll in the early days, saying, oh, it's going to subvert our youth, it's going to make them all want to have sex, it's going to make them all go crazy. They were right. Country artist Conway Twitty stated, quote, As a country artist, I'm not proud of a lot of the things in my field. There is no doubt in my mind that we are contributing to the moral decline in America. Jefferson Starship declared, quote, Our music is intended to broaden the generation gap and to alienate children from their parents. Spencer Dryden of Jefferson Starship said, Get them while they're young. 
and bend their minds. Sadly, while millions of young people listen to music for several hours a day, the Barner Research Group found that mothers spend less than 30 minutes a day with their children, and fathers spend less than 15. Antichrist Perry Farrell, formerly with Jane's Addiction, who were once Spin Magazine's Band of the Year, not only glorifies evil, but blasphemes Christ. He said this, To the mosquitoes, or parents, we have more influence over your children than you do. Just keep this in mind. They're playing our CDs when they're not home. They're playing my tapes in your own car, in the tape. And I'm influencing your children. What mother or father in their right mind would give their little child whom they claim to love poison? And a physical poison is dangerous and destroys the physical body. How much worse is spiritual poison that poisons the soul and has eternal ramifications? Yeah. That's really what it's all about. And that's a great way to wrap that up. I mean, who in their right mind would voluntarily ingest poison, let alone you turn around and feed that poison to somebody else? Is that something like Christians should be doing? No, nobody should do that. And that's what's going on here. This is the devil, folks. He is evil. He's wicked. He hates our guts. He'll use whatever tool he can to get us to sin against God, even if it's sinful, rotten, putrid words put to music. It's not about the genre. It's whatever the genre is, what's the substance in the music? And if it's rotten, you're ingesting poison into your mind. Why? Because he knows the process of temptation, right? What you allow into your mind affects your behavior. That's the process of sin. What you, it starts with the ear. You put this junk in your ear, it's going to be junk in your mind, and if you don't shut it off quick, it's going to produce sin. He knows exactly what he's doing, okay? Rather, let's close and turn around. What's it supposed to look like? How beautiful could it be? Well, imagine, let's do it the right way, right? One Christian glorifies God, does what the scripture says, you edify, you build up. No unwholesome stuff ever comes out of your mouth. One Christian has a godly mouth and and whatever comes out of their mouth, it just edifies, it builds up another Christian. The music they listen to is godly, God-honoring. It edifies them and it edifies the people around them. Well, that Christian does that. And then another Christian comes along and does that. And then another Christian comes along and does that. And on and on it goes. The next thing you know, you got some of the most beautiful worship music to the ears of God from his kids. Like with this guy. This is awesome. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lord of all creation 
What music we could make as a church. Church, did you know? Not Mary. Church, did you know? When one Christian does what the scripture says, pay attention what goes into your mind. Use your mouth to honor God. Put things in your brain to the ears that honor God. Because that will influence another Christian to come alongside. And then they're doing it too. And then here comes another one. And another one. And then pretty soon a whole, can you imagine a whole church full of those guys? What beautiful music that must be in the eyes of God. What a powerful witness that would be to the lost if we would just take this serious. Let's be that church. Let's be those people wherever we go. Amen? Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you can actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. 
For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.